Amen. That was beautiful. I, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, I hope you were able to spend time with family. Um, I hope uh, for those of you who were willing to brave the crowds, you were able to uh, enjoy your shopping traditions. Uh, I hope that uh, uh, you, you got to enjoy some football, which is important. And, uh, but most of all, I hope that you spent some time giving thanks. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, that we should give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, this is God's will for us, that we be grateful people. And, and man, this is so easy when life is good. You know, when all the family gets to come in, it's so easy to give thanks. When your team wins, it's easy to give thanks. But obviously, it's harder to give thanks when things go wrong. You know, when your health fails, or someone is traveling and they can't get home, or... or or maybe it was your first holiday after the loss of someone very, very dear to you. It, 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 it's, it's much more, more complicated to give thanks in those times. When, when I was first in ministry, I was preaching this verse around Thanksgiving time. And I was being very forceful that we should give thanks in all things. After the service, a person came up to me who had just lost a loved one, who, whose health was, was incredibly poor, and who had just been told that their job was being done away with at the local uh, uh, paper mill. And they asked me a very sincere question. They said, Pastor, how do you give thanks in this? How do you give thanks in this? And I knew what the question uh, that, that was really bothering them was. They were asking God, or, or, Pastor, why would God allow this to happen to us? Years ago, Barna did a survey and they asked, if you could ask God one question and you were guaranteed that he would answer you, what would that question be? Overwhelmingly, people people ask, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? There's no more perplexing question than that. Why, why is there so much hardship? This is like the question mark turned like a fish hook into the human heart. We don't understand why people hurt so bad. Why does God allow the worst things that can happen to people? Why does he allow people to lose a child? Why does he allow a family member to, to have cancer? Why does he allow a son or a spouse to be deployed to war or for a parent to die suddenly? An old preacher told me, Son, every time you preach, remember that there's at least one hurting pe person in the pew. In my experience, he vastly underestimated. What I found is hurting people are everywhere. And so today we're going to start a series on the book of Job. Uh, it, it's the, the biblical treatise on the subject of why do bad things happen. Uh, and it offers insight into suffering from God's perspective. And, and it's a, 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 a valuable study. Now I want to give you a warning. Uh, you're not going to get easy answers when you study the book of Job. 
You know, I'm not going to be able to give you a three-step formula on how to get over your hurt. Uh, We're not going to be able to insulate you from problems that might come your way. But I do believe there's valuable lessons that help us deal with our pain and, and, and to help us understand suffering when it comes our way. Let's dive in. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the country of Uz. His name was Job. He, he was a man of perfect integrity. He feared God. He turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate was huge. It included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Uh, apparently, as we look at Job's life, he was a businessman. Um, perhaps he made his living through transporting goods. We're, we're really not certain. But regardless, Job was wealthy, extremely wealthy. He was blessed in several ways, and he was blessed several times over. It was as if God caused everything that he touched to turn to gold. No doubt he was the envy of many. He had earned the reputation of the greatest man of the East. And his greatness extended far beyond his riches. We're we're given a, a, a picture of his character here in these first verses, and we learn that he's an incredibly moral man. He has great integrity. In fact, verse 1 says he has perfect integrity. Some people, when asked why do bad things happen to good people, say, there are no good people. All deserve to be punished. And I get that. In fact, I believe that. I believe in total depravity, that we're all sinners, and if we all got what we deserved, we would all be much worse off. I I believe that. But I also understand that on another level, the Bible does teach that some people live better lives than others. I mean, can't we acknowledge that, that, that Noah was a righteous man, that Abraham walked in integrity. Even in the New Testament, we find a man named Cornelius before he ever heard about Jesus. The Bible says that he was an upright and righteous man. So compared to people, some people are just better than others. And and Job's one of those guys. He's a man of perfect integrity. And he was a family man. He, He cared for his kids. He provided their needs. Job had had a lot of stuff, and he lavished it on his kids. Uh, Again, verse 2, he had seven sons and three daughters. And verse 4 says, his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their sisters to come and eat and drink with them. And, And whenever they had one of these rounds of banqueting, Job would send for his children and purify them. He would rise early in the morning to offer burnt sacrifices on their behalf. For Job thought, maybe they've sinned. Maybe they cursed God in their hearts. I want to make sure they're right with God. And this was Job's regular practice. Uh, he spiritually interceded for his kids. Guys, uh, for those of us who are dads here in this room, I believe a mark of a good man is a man who intercedes on behalf of his kids. He prays for them. He, he stands in the gap for them. He, he, he wants to make sure that they know God and understand God's love for them. This was Job. And 
he did this because he was a godly man. Again, verse 1, uh, the Bible tells us that, that he, he feared God and he turned away from evil. I mean, this is not an ordinary man. This is a great man, the greatest man in that area. But his life's about to take a sharp downturn, and in a matter of minutes, his whole world comes crashing in. And as we see this, the first lesson that we just have to kind of wrap our brain around is bad things happen to good people. This doesn't always make sense. It offends our sense of justice. I mean, let's be honest. Why do good couples who love each other, trying to live as good citizens, try so hard to have children, and they're not able to have children? And, and an irresponsible person gets pregnant only to have an abortion. Why would you allow that, God? Why does a hardworking guy who's not missed a day of work in years lose his job and lose his house and lose his security? And a, a CEO who mismanaged funds gets bailed out. Where's the justice in that? It's hard to grasp, but the reality is pain is not always distributed in direct proportion to the amount of sin in a person's life. We talked about this verse last week, but it rains on the just and the unjust. And a part of Christian maturity, a part of us growing in our our faith and trust in God, is getting to a place that we recognize that this life has temporary injustices. It, It just does. Sometimes good people suffer. Job was the best, and he did. Verse 6. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. This verse describes a meeting in heaven. The sons of God refer to angelic beings, and Satan was with them. I believe that Satan was a fallen angelic being, and and thus he he had access at this time into God's presence. Verse 7 says, The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? Satan responds, "I, I come from roaming through the earth and walking around it. Uh, by the way, uh, just to clear up some of your understandings, Satan is not in hell right now. The Bible says that hell is created for Satan and his angels, and there will come a time when they are cast into hell. But at this time, he roams around on this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, And this is what Satan is doing uh, at this time. Here he appears before God, and he's making accusations about the faithfulness of humanity. It shouldn't surprise us that he's doing this in the book of Job because this is what he does throughout the New Testament. He's called the accuser of the brethren in the New Testament. And almost all of us have felt the accuser's whispers, haven't we? I have. You're not good enough. There's no way God loves you. You're worthless. You know, there's a lot of confusion between Satan's accusations and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let, let me try to clarify the way I understand it. 
Conviction of the Holy Spirit moves us to repentance. It deals with our past, and it says that's not who you should be. The accusations that come from the enemy deal with the present and your future. It says you are worthless and you have no hope. That's not from God. God speaks differently into us to to move us into relationship with him, not to keep us from relationship with him. But here Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He comes and he's accusing those on the earth. And and the Lord says to Satan, have you not considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. He's a man of perfect integrity. He fears God. He, He turns away from evil. Have you noticed, Job, before we go any farther, God is sovereign and he knows what's best, but I really wouldn't want to be singled out. I'd like to fly under Satan's radar. But but God says to Satan, have you noticed Job? He, he loves me. He, he, he walks in holiness. And, and Satan says, well, yeah. Who wouldn't? You, you've given him so much. Does Job fear God for nothing? You know, no wonder he's good. You placed a hedge around him. His household, everything he owns, you bless the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in, in, the, in the land. Of course he serves you. But stretch your hand against him, strike everything he owns, and he'll curse you to your face. So God gave him permission. Verse 12. Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself, so Satan left the Lord's presence. And he turns up the heat on Job. And Job's life begins to fall apart. Second lesson that I would like for us to glean from this chapter. Bad things happen to good people, but not one bad thing happens to a good person that the Lord is not aware of. Nothing happens to you except that which God has allowed. Now, this is a scary thought that Satan has been given permission to to bring affliction on Job, but remember, it's limited permission. God has allowed it. I I, I have found a lot of people want, want to know, why am I suffering, God? What have I done to deserve this? Why are you letting this happen to me? I want to tell you, when you're suffering, if you suffer, I want you to know that it doesn't mean that God's upset with you. It may be Satan attacking. It may just be the the normal experience of living living in a fallen world where people face hurts. And I want to take a time out to say, I'm not sure it's healthy to try to figure out exactly why you're suffering. People spend a lot of time on this. They go round and round and trying to figure out, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And here's what I've found. We may not ever find out why we suffer in this life. And even more dangerous, we may get it wrong. I don't know why you suffer or why I might suffer, but I know what God is trying to accomplish by allowing. I don't know what the cause is, but I know what the results can be. 
God allows suffering for a few reasons. One, he allows suffering to mature us. He permits suffering to, 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 to develop us. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only that, we rejoice in our afflictions because we know that God's doing something. We know that affliction produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. God's working in, in us. You know, the father-child imagery that we learn uh, of our relationship, uh, uh, the comparisons to our relationship with God are very helpful in this moment. It helps us understand why we suffer. No good father allows a kid to do what they want if they're harming themselves. They discipline them. A, a good father allows a child to experience pain to develop their character. They'll let a kid ride a two-wheel bicycle even though they may, they may fall. Uh, that sometimes God uh, allows things to happen to mature us and to heal us. Uh, I mean, isn't it true that healing is sometimes necessary, or pain is sometimes necessary for healing? I haven't been through a lot of hardship like some of y'all have. My wife's father passed away, which was really difficult because we loved Poppy, and he was kind of the rock of the family. But other than that, I guess I've only had one real hard time in my life. It was when Karis was, I guess, about 18 months old. That's our youngest daughter. She'd been sick for a couple weeks. My mother-in-law was a pediatric nurse. She knew something was really wrong. And one day she didn't want to butt in, but she wanted to kind of see if she could help out. And so she took Karis with her. We'd been to the doctor like three times. They didn't know what was going on. When she had her at her home, she asked a doctor who she worked with if he would see Karis while she had her. They ended up going and doing some blood work on her for the first time, and her hemoglobin count was down to like 5.2. For any of you who've been really sick, that's incredibly dangerous. Um, they say organ failure starts in at about 5.0. The doctor told her, don't wait for an ambulance. Take her immediately to Cosair's. When you get to Cosair's, they'll tell you what to do. We were in Hopkinsville, and we made the trip from Hopkinsville to, to Louisville in less than two hours, and that shouldn't be done. But uh, you do what you got to do when you're a dad. And uh, we met my in-laws there. They were getting ready to give IVs to Karis, and they had the hardest time giving her an IV. It took a lot of times. If you've ever watched somebody struggle to get an IV, it's a struggle to watch. It's really hard for a dad when the little girl is saying, Daddy, me, me, help me. You know what daddies do when their little girl's saying, help me, and they're trying to get a needle in them? They help the nurse try to get the needle in them. Because I knew she needed that needle. And the pain, while was... In that little 18-month-year-old mind was completely unnecessary, was vital to her survival. She was diagnosed with hemolytic uremic syndrome. Uh, it's something that they told us before we went to bed that night. The next 24 hours will tell us if she, if she makes it or not. Praise the Lord. She's alive and no, uh, no long-term effects. We praise the Lord for that, and I give him thanks. But I tell you this, sometimes we go through hard things because we need those hard things to make us into the person 
that we need to be. Sometimes pain comes into our life, and, and God's purpose is for us to help other people through our experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through, through the comfort we received because God helped us through suffering and hardship and affliction, we have the ability to in turn help others. Sometimes God, sometimes God permits suffering to test us. James 1, a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Most of us don't like tests. But tests are an opportunity to show if you studied. They reveal if you've gained knowledge. And they're a chance for you to be rewarded. Tests are not so that God will know if you know your stuff. Tests are given so that you'll know that you know your stuff. Stephen Brown once said, For every pagan who gets cancer... God allows a Christian to get cancer to show the world that there's a real difference. I, I, I don't know if he's right in that or not, but I know there should be a difference in the way that Christians handle adversity and non-believers handle adversity. In the next few verses, we see Job's testing time. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking, they, they, they were drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. While they were doing this, the messenger came to Job and said, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down. They took them away. They struck down the servants with, with the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone escaped to tell you. Verse 17, that messenger was still speaking. He's lost his fortune. And while that messenger's speaking, he said, the Chaldeans formed three bands. They made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants. I alone have escaped. Everything's gone. Within minutes, he had lost everything. You know, our heart breaks when we watch survivors from Hurricane Michael or from... Uh, fires in California. I mean, doesn't that break your heart? But almost always when you see one of these survivors, they will say, this is just stuff. At least we have our family. Verse 18. While he's still speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, all of them. I alone have escaped to tell you. I've told you my life's been pretty easy, but I've walked with people who've had it pretty hard. And there's no pain like the pain of losing your child. And here Job loses all ten of his children at one time. Verse 20. Then Job stood there and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. 
I want us to notice the order of this verse because this is huge. What does he do? He, he mourns and then he worships. Let's make sure we get that order correctly. Uh, he, he didn't pretend that nothing happened. Pain hurts even when we retain our faith in God. But even though Job grieved, he worshiped. And third lesson for us today, believers can worship God even when we don't understand what he's doing. Job didn't shake his fist and curse God as Satan predicted. Instead, he worshiped God. Verse 21 says, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. You probably learned this verse this way. But blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I've always read this verse wrong. I think because it's a song that we sing, you know, he gives and takes away, or something like that. I've always read this kind of trite. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I promise you, Job didn't say this in a trite, rhythmic, fun fashion. Can't you hear him saying, I didn't have anything. I don't have anything now. The Lord gave me everything, but the Lord has taken it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I can sense the tears of a funeral in that moment as Job speaks these words. But Job is saying, I'm going to trust God no matter what happens to me. And the world doesn't get this. They don't understand this at all. Why do you go to church after all you've been through? Why do you still believe after experiencing that type of pain? How can you still hang on? Because that's what faith does. It's holding on when you don't understand. It's worshiping when you don't want to. It's holding your tongue when you feel like cursing. It's trusting even though it's painful. It's believing that God will make it right one day. And let me ask you folks, what alternative do you really have? For those of you who've retreated into anger, did it make you better? How many answers did you find when you stopped going to church? Did your momentary atheism help you? Don't run from God because of your pain. Worship God in spite of your pain. J. Wallace Hamilton told about a Christian couple who were devastated because their son was killed in battle. They staggered into church one Sunday morning because they had nowhere else to go. As worship started, they stood to sing the doxology, but as they sang the words, that that old song had fresh meaning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. And all of a sudden, tears started streaming down their face. 
And they squeezed each other's hands. And it's like at one moment it dawned on them that their son was now worshiping God in heaven with the heavenly host. And they, 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 they felt wonderfully close to their son. And they, they felt renewed in their hopes as they worshiped. This is where when we read Job, and he goes through all of these hard things, and he worships God, yet we're supposed to read, and he lived happily ever after. But Job gives us a brutally honest version of pain. Even if you worship God in the midst of your suffering, it may get worse. Chapter 2. The Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity. He fears God. He turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity. Even though you've done all of this against him, he's still with me. Skin for skin, Satan answered. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. Stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he'll curse you to your face. Uh, A, this shows that Satan is not all-knowing. He's already played his trump card. His children had died. Verse 6. Very well, the Lord tells Satan. He is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he infected Job with terrible boils from the the sole of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job was in such pain, he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape the boils. And he sat among the ashes. His only relative left is his wife and, and she's at the end. And she said, just curse God and die. Do you still retain your integrity? Give up. Before we're too hard on her, and I've heard sermons where people are, remember Job's not flying solo in this pain flight. His wife's going through this as well. But Job... In in response to her, in verse 10 says, You speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only the good from God and not adversity? And then listen to this last phrase. This will be the last verse we deal with in Job today. Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. We're going to spend two more weeks in the book of Job. Next week, we're going to take a big chunk of Scripture. And through all of this, Job does not sin in his words. But he shows a lot of frustration. But you know what I love about the story of Job? As he comes to the end, when God shows up and reveals his hand, Job says, you are God alone. And he hangs on. The book of Job teaches us a lesson that that you can be faithful in suffering. You you can. And when we read the book of Job, even though there's a lot of unresolved issues, and even though we're left with some questions, we, we know that you can be faithful even when it's hard. And this story gives us hope. 
because we know we're not the first person to face a hard life. Whoever you are today, you're not the first person to have marital problems. You're not the first person to lose thousands in the stock market. You're not the first person to be cheated on by a friend. You're not the first person to face the disappointment that a child can bring. You're not the first person whose health is failing. Others have gone through it and maintained faithfulness. So can you. Earlier I listed three reasons why God allows suffering. Let me give you one more. Pain keeps our focus on heaven. It reminds us that this world is not our home, and so we shouldn't get too comfortable here. I heard a preacher one time reference this verb as he was talk, or this verse as he was talking about Job. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It says, he watches over his nest like an eagle, and he hovers over his young. He spreads his wing, he catches them, and he lifts them up on his pinions. I've heard that one of the more spectacular sights in nature is to watch an eagle teach its young to fly. First, they stir up the nest. They take out all the rabbit's fur and the lamb's wool, and they make the eaglet uncomfortable. They, they want to get out. And then the, the, the mature eagle, she spreads her, her, her wings and, and she demonstrates above the nest how to fly and how huge she is. And then she carries the eaglets on her pinions. She, she places the eaglet on her back and she soars higher and higher until she flips over. And then the baby eagle starts falling thrashing through the air, but before the panicky eaglet hits the ground, the mother swoops down and she catches it and then soars back up and flips over again. She, <laughs> she repeats this process. And, and can't you just see the baby eagle clutching on for dear life, screaming, is this trip really necessary? <laughs> but eventually the eagle learns to fly. There are times when God stirs up our nests and we don't like this world very much. There are times that he seems to abandon us altogether, but he has not forsaken us. He just doesn't want us to get too comfortable here. We think the worst thing that can happen is for us to experience pain in this life. Actually, the worst thing that can happen is for us to not know Christ and go into the next life. If you don't know him, there's coming a day where pain never ceases. And the pain we experience in this life is nothing compared to the pain of the next. But if you have Christ as your Savior, he promises that there's coming a day where there is no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more tears. And that's why we give opportunity each week for people to accept Christ. You see, he went through pain and suffering on the cross to save you from an eternal hell. He took upon himself the agony of sin so that, so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty ourselves. And when we accept his death on the cross as a free gift, he promises 
an eternal joy. A joy that will enable you, no matter what you go through, to say, this is but light and momentary affliction. And I know it is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we hold on because we know this life is not all there is. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and you would use them. God, I don't pretend to understand the hurts that some have gone through. But I know there is nowhere else we can turn but to you. God, I pray that we would trust you because you are the one that took our sin and our hurt and all the wrong that sin brought into this world and you laid them on our Lord and Savior Jesus so that through his death we could have life. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we believe that he has saved us from our sin, give us the faith to believe that he will guide us to our heavenly home. Help us to be faithful even when this life is hard. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus.